because mm-hmm. I was too afraid. That made it too real. What That's if a very he gets good it? Psychological analysis. Mm-hmm. What if he gets it and then he falls in love with my letter and then me and then I have to be his girlfriend in real life? Yeah. And so and I'm only I would, nine, right? And I might have nine. to choose between I'm my family. I'm not ready to move away. Yet. I don't even wear a bra yet. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of love is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who raced home from school to catch Parker Stevenson or Andy Gibb or Henry Winkler or Christy McNichol on the Mike Douglas Show, which started at 3.30, of course. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be saving the closest thing we had to dating our celebrity crushes, putting pen to paper and writing a fan letter, after sending in our $2.50 to join the fan club, of course. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. If I could create a banana clip kind of thing that didn't hurt, because I want like, I just pulled it all back, kind of like that. And oh my I God. could have a banana clip. On the back right of your here, neck. At the back of my <gasps> neck. A banana clip for your neck. Your skin. Yes, yes a really, skin banana clip. It really pulled it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, I anyway. just want those tape things that hold my – you put under your hairline. Well, yeah. um, you know, a lot of famous people, like older women, still wear them. And you tape just right here, and it holds your – just a little bit, and it just holds your skin up. You know what I saw this weekend that is related to this, I promise? Um, did you watch Don't Look Up yet, the Netflix no, movie? No, Grace look wants up? me to. I have not seen Don't it. Don't Look Up, which is that one? It's Leonardo DiCaprio oh, yeah. and Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Lawrence. We, we have to finish it. I just have to it. tell you there's this it. scene. I'm not spoiling anything. This doesn't say anything about the end of the movie. But it was this scene where I just wanted to stand up and cheer because all of these naked people go walking out into this field and they're they're real naked people. These are not like <laughs> actors and actresses. They're and they're not just oh, they're fat people and skinny people. No, it's skinny people with like dimply butts. And then I don't know, I would love to know if this was actually Meryl Streep or if it was a body double for Meryl Streep, but they show the back of naked Meryl Streep walking away. Oh. And it is the dimpliest butt you have ever seen. And I was like, "Oh, thank you, Jesus." Thank you, Jesus, for showing this to the world. Because then at least, if if only for one person, if only for my husband to know that this is what women's butts look like. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just mine. Yeah. Real women's butts look like that. Real women's butts yeah. look all pokey and dimply, just like that. And I really, I actually hope it's Meryl Streep's butt. Because would they hire a body double? Usually they hire a body double to portray some sort of ideal Right. And this was just normal. I mean, it was a beautiful normal, yeah. but it was just normal. We need so to I'm look like, maybe into that's that. her butt. Right. Because she would have, if it wasn't her butt, I'm sure she has to uh, maybe approve the body double. Like you have to yes. say, okay, I, yes. that person. So she yes. had to approve the dimples. Uh-huh. Um, so that's good too. I yeah. guess. Because I so don't look- think Meryl Streep would go, I don't think she's like, an, I don't think it's her butt, but I do, just because I, I don't think Meryl Streep would say I'm going to have be naked. And they never um, showed her but, face. So but it is I to totally agree with Carolyn that she probably was way on board with having it mm-hmm. look like a real woman's butt. Yeah. Well, so if you you're go. listening right now, yeah. you all know what our butts look like. <laughs> I just told you. I, just told I think you we all just like. gave away. Mm-hmm. Right. Spoiler My alert. Butt days if you ever see me. our butts. How about if... If you get um on our highest Patreon level, you might get to see us walking into the water naked. And you can guess I think that's a different who's... website, <laughs> Carolyn. It's a, it's a matching oh game. It's a matching that's game. Right. Which one is Kristen? Like the typewriter, you know, our word processor yeah. typewriter, which goes with who? It could be which yeah. butt matches oh. which. Alrighty, are we ready? <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. Our fantastic episode. Girl. Look what you've done to me. Me. Do you guys remember what the most watched episode of the Brady Bunch was? Kristen, I think you told us. I'm, I'm raising okay, my raising hand. Okay, raising your hand. Yes, Kristen. 
what, what, um, what's the answer? It's my favorite episode of the entire 92 years of the Brady Bunch, which is Getting Davy Jones. Getting yeah. Davy Jones. Isn't, that, isn't mm-hmm. it the most popular Brady Bunch episode just of all? In any it's way, the most, generally? It's the most repeated episode of any TV show ever. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, ever. Oh my ever. gosh, I forgot that. Of I thought any it was just TV of the Brady show. Bunch. Of any Not TV just the Brady show. Bunch. Well, what right. do you think? The most repeated. Most Gosh, I was going to say, well, Kristen, since it's one of your favorites, can mm-hmm. you give us just a quick Kristen-like recap of what the episode was about? Okay, so um, Marsha Brady is the president of the Davy Jones fan club at Fillmore Junior High, and they need somebody to perform at their prom. And so Marsha decides to write to Davy Jones and ask if he'll perform at the prom, because last time she got a letter back from one of her fan letters, and he said, if you ever need anything, just let me know. And she's like, well, he said. Right. So this all culminates in her showing up at the studio when he's recording a song. And we get to see <sighs> Davy Jones in the studio with his big headphones on, staring adoringly up at the mic, singing, Good. <laughs> look, look what, what you've you done, done to me. To me. <laughs> the, the, oh. the classic Davy Jones song, Gull. Go. G U L O. Go. And didn't we all think that, yes, if we too wrote a letter, may, that they would write us back? I mean, it happened to her that, you know, she got a letter back from him. We thought maybe we would get one too if we wrote one. Mm-hmm. We were being shown real life right there. This right. is what happens when That's you write right. a fan letter. Well, and what I remember thinking from that episode and and it just filled my body with, um, when you talk nipple lightning, my body would just <laughs> mm-hmm. like quiver when he walks in the door. So I would think, could this possibly happen to me one day by writing a fan letter? Because as we know, Davy Jones then finds out, right? And he feels bad and he shows up at the house and walks in the door and Marsha doesn't know he's coming. And do you guys just remember how Carol answers the door and she like puts her finger to her lips like, shh, don't tell her. And he's walking and he's got the album covered up. Oh, I get goosebumps just thinking about it because I would put, I, know. I would be Marsha in that moment. Well, and I wasn't course. a Davy Jones like, I mean, I thought he was fine, but I, I wasn't like a huge fan. But I would put myself in her position and that could be anybody walking around the court. Can you imagine? Just knocking on your door. <laughs> yeah. Because you wrote him a letter and then he yes. shows up at your door. That was the yeah, shows up at your fantasy. Door. That was like right. the end game that you wanted I, and that you thought was possible. Right. Sure. You did think that was possible. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, again, she was also president of his fan club. So I think she you know, thought that might give her um, a leg up too. Now, this episode aired in 1971, you guys, which happened to be when the heyday for fan clubs really began. So there were obviously fan clubs in the 50s and 60s, but nowhere near the cool stuff that you got if you joined a fan club in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do have a really cute story to share about a fan club in the 50s. You guys ready? Mm -hmm. I think when I learned this, it was the first time that I realized that my mother was once an adolescent (laughs) and went through puberty and had feelings like me. (laughs) So in 1955, she and her friends went to see the movie, Francis Joins the Navy. Now, Francis is a talking mule, everyone. I was just about to say, was Francis a donkey? But I was totally kidding. Yes, no, he is a talking mule. And I think there was a franchise of Francis movies, maybe. I don't know if he goes to Washington, too. He goes some places. Donald O'Connor, I believe, is his, like, co-star. So it's Francis and Donald getting these adventures. So um, here we have Francis is going to become a member of our armed forces. And in one of the scenes, my mom notices this really cute human character, um, <laughs> like, swabbing the deck of the ship. And she I'm glad you made that remember. distinction. <laughs> right? <laughs> I just want you to know she's not writing to mules. Um, and so she um, notices this guy she thinks he's either shirtless or has like a sleeveless shirt on i'm thinking it's maybe sleeveless in in 55 and he's like swabbing the deck so he's like a sailor (laughs) but he catches her eye and she cannot stop thinking of him after the movie's over and they go home so she decides to write to the movie studio and say who was this guy she describes the scene and all of that and you guys you have to realize my mom and I love her. And Lillian, you know, I love you. She's a little type A. She's got her thing. So to think that my mom is going home and she's looking up the, you know, movie studio and finding the address. Yes, Michelle, I see your hand is raised. I, yes, because Carolyn, that's where you got your rabbit. You, the <gasps> rabbit hole is genetic. 
Oh my God! Think about it. Yes, she. Right. Back she then, your mom the was like, "I can't stand studio. to not know who this is." She didn't have Google. She mm-hmm. didn't have. So she did the next best thing, and that's also your love of letter writing and your love of the written word. Your mom did something that is so admirable to you. She took pen to paper, and she's like, "I'm going to find out who this is," because she couldn't let it go. Right? <gasps> my she God. couldn't. So, you guys, she was super excited when a couple weeks later she got a letter back. Okay. Inside the envelope was an eight by 10 black and white photo of the person who I'm going to tell you in just a minute who it is. I'm leaving you on the edge of your seat. This was this person's first credited movie role ever. And this would be Clint Eastwood. So my my mother noticed Clint Eastwood before he was really Clint Eastwood. Oh my God. With the um, picture was also a letter from the president of the Clint Eastwood fan club, the one and only Clint Eastwood fan club at the time, because yeah. nobody really knew who he was. Was it was was it Clint Eastwood who was the president? <laughs> no, the it was, you know, I didn't get the, um, the woman or the girl's name, but she was inviting my mom to join. And my mom joined. So my mom, you guys, is one of the charter members of the official first Clint Eastwood fan club Aww. that started in 1955. So there you go. Then she went on to correspond with the president of the fan club for a couple years after that, even. Okay. Um, So and she still loves Clint Eastwood to this day. Although her first crush, it was. She did have a little issue when he left his wife for a younger woman. My Mm -hmm. mom can have the little issues like with Mm -hmm. Michael Landon, and I think Bing Crosby did it too. And she'll say that he ran off with a little chippy. That's what she always calls them, little chippies. <laughs> oh my God. And so I have a list yes, of these people I in love my it head. I'm, because it's true. They all did. Yeah, I'm kind of chippies. not allowed to like. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Somebody so, who didn't have dimples in her butt. <laughs> right. Probably. <laughs> but she still loves Clint to this day. So I want everyone out there to know that my mom was kind of part of t- discovering him. I just had her retell the story to me a couple of days ago just so I could kind of get some of the facts right. And she was like a giddy kid. And she said, yeah. oh, oh, that's cute. And your grandmother, Carolyn, she was so sweet. She let me hang that picture up on the wall. She was really nice that she let me hang those pictures on the wall. And it was just like she was, you know, a kid again. It was really sweet. See, that just shows her her child is still living inside her. Well, um, were you guys members of any fan clubs? I, I wasn't. And I have just... Thanks to research for this episode, I've discovered why, which I'll discuss later. But I do have a friend who was the president of the Sean Cassidy fan club. And I'm like, wow. for the whole world? You're 10 <laughs> years old. I, like, I never understood that thing. And I don't know if she knows the answer either. Like, was she just the president for her neighborhood or for the <laughs> whole world? I don't, I don't understand how that worked. I, I don't remember. And here's, I feel really disappointed in myself if I wasn't because I was such a fangirl and it and am still such a fangirl, but um, I I feel like if I would have been, I would have kept something. Like, and I think if I would have been, it would have been Donny Osmond, it would have been Scott Bayo. And I feel like I'm certainly familiar with all the ads and Tiger Beat and everything showing. And my sister I know was of Hardy Boys because she still has her official card, her membership card. <laughs> I just feel like um, – I don't have, but but then again, like I said, I've lost a lot of memories. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> well, what was interesting was, I mean, it became a whole industry, the fan club industry in the 70s. Yeah. So before oh, it was kind absolutely. of the studios were, would kind of take care of it, kind of like you just said, Kristen, and then it would get passed down. And then eventually, if there was a fan club already pla- placed uh, with that person, but it was not to the degree of fan clubdom that we came to know where um, publicists, TV, um, networks were all part of getting these things out there and in our faces. So for instance, I'm going to just read you a little bit in the um, back of the Sean Cassidy concert program that our friend Shane was so nice and and got us a bunch. You could join. And this is a vintage program. This is not from our recent concert. This is from 1978. Yeah, 77 or 78. And I would say that um, I would wonder if I sent $5 $5 plus a dollar for postage and handling now to the address printed clearly on here what I would, yeah, what would get, what would mm-hmm. happen. But this um, fan club was called the only official friends of Sean Cassidy fan club. <laughs> so maybe there were some unofficial ones yeah, out there, but. There's one called um, AA, triple A, Sean yeah. Cassidy <laughs> fan club. In the yellow pages. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. There's actually pretty much two main companies who kind of ran these fan clubs. One, interestingly enough, was called the Fan 
Club Corporation of America. And they were out of Ohio. Isn't that interesting? Um, And they uh, did like fair faucets. I mean, there were a bunch they did. And then our friends at Tiger Beat, they had an arm that did fan clubs. So they, mm-hmm. that's why you see a lot of those ads in Tiger Meat Magazine. Those would have been ones that they probably produced. So now when you join, for instance, if you had joined the only official friends of Sean Cassidy fan club, you wouldn't have just gotten one photo. You ended up getting like four, one eight by 10 color photo, a five by seven color photo, some wallet size photos. You could put <laughs> him, Sean in your wallet and show your friends. Look, Sean sent me a picture. A handwritten letter of welcome from Sean himself. And I think oh, they needed to put wink, handwritten wink. in quotation mm-hmm. marks. Come on. Yeah. Um, Somebody's s- handwritten. It didn't say his handwritten. Oh, this is true. And mm-hmm. that's probably what they would have said. Um, of course, your membership certificate, your photo membership card, entitling you to special fan club privileges. I guess you could like flash like your, your card. Like your driver's license. Yeah. You could flash that card and get 10% off it. I don't know. At his merch table, stickers and decals, a super book cover with Sean's picture on it. So you could have it at school, put that on your little textbook and you'd be really happy. And as a fabulous bonus for fan club members only, they had a monthly drawing that they would pick 10 people every month and you could get a giant, I don't say how giant it is, color <laughs> autograph poster of Sean and a chance to receive a birthday card personally from Sean <gasps> himself. Yeah. Can you believe that? He's going to be busy. Yeah, so yeah. I think that was a great investment for $6. So I figured out why it was that, because I too I was like you, Michelle, like, why didn't I join a fan club? There were so many opportunities. I was disappointed in and, myself. And I was also very disappointed in myself. But upon further examination, it was the $2.50. That's what I thought it too, Kristen. Well, for it's, sure. everything was $5 and all the Tiger Beats that were around the age I would have been. And mm-hmm. I thought that's exactly what I thought. I thought it's the money. You got it all. But when I had that money, I don't know that I trusted that I could just send it in the envelope or that I had right. it. Or, or would that... my parents approve of me spending my money mm-hmm. that way? My I can just hear my mom being like, that's just throwing your money away. I, I just, right. it seemed like it was off limits to me somehow. Um, but I decided to do a little experiment because I was questioning, I was going through this existential trauma of why did I miss out on this opportunity? And I thought part of it is that I didn't really know how. Um, part of it is the money. So I decided to go through my record collection and just see where could you, where did you get this information about fan clubs? And I found fan club information on the backs of quite a few records. I've got the Partridge Family. I've got Bobby V. Donnie and Marie. Um, the Monkees. Uh, David Cassidy, certainly. The Bay City Rollers. And Sean Cassidy. They all had fan club information on the on the record itself. That's brilliant. Okay. That's it's brilliant so brilliant. Marketing. It's so mm-hmm. brilliant. And I just think that the things that you offered, like if you were going to do some comparison shopping, I think the Partridge family is definitely where you come out ahead. I got some serious <laughs> retroactive FOMO when I saw what you got when you joined the Partridge family fan club. Okay, so here it is. That's actually what it says. Here it is. And this <laughs> is on the back of the Partridge family sound magazine album. Um, an all-new 1972 Partridge Family Fan Club. Join today and receive a sizzling, dazzling, fun-packed new Partridge Family Fan Club kit jammed full of the greatest goodies ever. A special record featuring the voices of David, Susan, Shirley, Danny, Suzanne, and Brian. They'll tell you everything you've been waiting to hear. I don't know what they mean. Are they just talking on this album? Mm-hmm. Um, a brand new book, Growing Up with the Partridge Family. It's a complete history of every partridge with a startling prediction section for the future. Now, I think they're talking about the characters here, not the act. Because you know they're not real people, right? <laughs> um, a partridge, fa- a par- partridge Family poster. A super group shot of your favorite family just posed to decorate the wall of your room. You get autographed wallet-sized portraits. It seems like the wallet-sized photos were really popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get them of every cast member. Um, you get a new membership card signed by David Cassidy. You get Partridge stickers, dozens of all new stickers for your letters, mirrors, and notebooks. Plus, the giant extra bonus, which is a huge living kissable all color 17 by 22 pinup poster of david cassidy don't wait join today send your name and address plus two dollars to partridge fan club 
Do you think that's the poster that your friend had or someone you knew had that they he was their boss? They would pretend he was their boss oh, and then they had I to kiss the boss on the way out the door? That was Tony. Yes, yeah, they would oh, have. Oh, Tony. Would, that's right. Yep. Tony. I know they Tony's They would play listening. office and they had yeah. to kiss the boss on the way home from work. <laughs> well, yeah, we were so lucky in the 70s because um, – when we wanted to join a fan club, like if you didn't have the record album, mm-hmm. we basically had like a phone book, like a fan club directory right at our fingertips, right? Because we were getting all our information from this this periodical anyway, and that was Tiger Beat. Like Tiger yeah. Beat, every issue was just bursting with fan club information and signups. And honestly, like if you didn't if you didn't see one you wanted to join, just turn the page because there'd be another one on on the next page and it wasn't just fan clubs it was color books and poster books and you know yeah, everything they had so you can much imagine. stuff for you to order so much stuff it was mm-hmm. it's just so much propaganda so i happen to have a stack of tiger beats from 1978 that i recently scored on ebay um so let me read you some other fan club info i found in these issues because um if you're listening and you haven't heard your favorite yet maybe you will now um so if you joined the Willie Ames fan club in July of 1978, you'd have been a charter member, much like Lillian was with Clint Eastwood. Oh, wow. Um, and for only, they're all only $5 in Tiger Beat in 1978. So for only $5, you'd have received all the, the same things we're talking about, like the personalized membership card, all the usual photos, folios, biographies, etc. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have also received what they call a photo kissing frame. That's a color picture of Willie in one slot and a slot for your own picture to oh slide God, in right nice. next to him. Oh. Wow. They've totally yeah. got our numbers. They know so, what's going on in our bedroom. I wonder how much they made, how many young girls and boys sent oh. in $5 yep. to get that, that photo kissing frame. Kiss. They call it a kissing frame. frame. My yeah. question is if I wonder, the only way I think that's worth it is if the photo of Willie is that he's looking one way with his lips puckered so that you can so. put your picture in <laughs> looking at him with your lips puckered. That's why. But then you'd have to take a photo with your Instamatic camera and then your mom would have to take oh, it to the photo shit. mat. You'd go you'd to the one hour. Wait, like, it wasn't even one. To yeah, get it. No, there was no. Yeah, one there was hour. no one hour yet. And no. then when your mom picked up the photos, then she'd see this photo of you kissing to the side. So, oh. okay. Anyway, so um, also in Tiger Beat, I found in 1978. I loved this one. You could have become a charter member. So again, we're getting it on the ground floor mm-hmm. of the Charlie's Angels fan club. I love that one. Yeah, I feel like maybe I, if I wasn't an actual member of the Charlie's Angels fan club, I may have claimed to be one. Like maybe I thought all you had to do was say oh. you were a member of the fan club and you oh, were. Kristen, oh, Kristen. That's so very I didn't dishonest. get anything. Dishonest. No, I think I thought I was in the Carolyn club. and I, our mouths are just open. Like, <gasps> like I didn't Kristen think I was is like lying. trying to tell us. No, but Kristen is like trying to tell us still that she's right. a member of the Charlie's Angels. <laughs> But on this one, this one is cool. You got an iron-on decal for your T-shirt that only members of the you couldn't buy that iron-on decal anyway. No, I may have had that. Okay, I have to. We have to re-record <laughs> well, this whole episode because I think I really was a member because I think I had that decal on my shirt. Okay, well you. I'm find getting. It. I'm getting manaloed right now. We need proof. Yeah. She's getting manaloed. Gail, did mm-hmm. you hear that? She's getting manaloed. Yeah. Well, you need to what look through some old photos. Would you still yeah. have the shirt anywhere? No. Do you think? Okay. No. Because I don't even have my Star Wars or my Andy Gibb or my or Mark your albums. They're all gone. Yeah, or all your I albums. Know. Garage Sale your City. Your albums. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be okay. um, kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we need proof. We'll stand <laughs> corrected happen. if you show mm-hmm. us that shirt. Okay. But until we see proof, we're calling I'm going to launch an investigation. <laughs> I'm going to, like, start a Facebook group for all my friends yeah, at, I was on Gordon say. Avenue in St. Oh, Paul yeah. and see if ask they have if, many memories. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or I, I was about to say, you can't ask them. No, you can't. Yeah. They can't look back at photos because we oh, just talked. They're all blurry. Oh, what yeah. if I have witnesses? A witness, that'll be good. Okay. If you can bring in, if you can bring in eyewitnesses, we'll take that as. That's where my investigation is We'll take that as hard evidence, Kristen. Um, Okay. I think it was Leif Garrett's fan club, though, that gave you the best incentive. If you do, you guys remember this? You might when I say it, because I didn't until I was looking through the Tiger Beats, and then I was like, of course, I remember seeing this all the time for years in Tiger Beats. If you were a member of Leif Garrett's fan, sorry, Leif Garrett's fan club, you would get a secret decoder, and in every month's issue of Tiger Beat, there was a secret code somewhere in the magazine that only members of Leif's fan club could decipher. (laughs) 
So like on a certain page up in the corner, it would say like Leif Garrett fan club member and it would be all this gobbledygook. But if you had that decoder, you could see what his message was to they you. They were so smart, those little marketing That's a people. really smart. And this, again, five bucks. And you also got sort of like the Partridge family, Kristen, that you just said. You got a 45 record with him. And I love how it says in his own voice. Like <laughs> what were they going to have his publicist do it? His mom? <laughs> Tell you actor? how he feels about you oh, and oh, about himself. Me? And himself, <gasps> plus his future plans and how you can help him reach his goals. You guys, I would love, to, if anyone listening out there has that 45, please somehow oh, get us please. a recording of that. Because yes, I want to hear what his future plans were and let's see how they shook out for him. And two, because <laughs> we kind of all know. And two, <laughs> I just love how he feels about you and himself. I just would love to know the script that someone wrote. Oh, Poor well, Leif to have just- to say. What blew me away when I was reading those about the ones that included the 45, you guys, those were like the cardboard 45s. Do you remember those? Like sometimes yes. on the back of cereal boxes, oh, you, you could, could punch, punch it out, it out oh my God. and then it plays. And so I know that in oh the David my God. Cassidy fan club, that's what you got and it actually had a like a picture of him on it too. So it was like a twofer. You got the little 45 <laughs> with his face on it, but it was cardboard. And then I remembered like cereal or, or something. Did that wreck our album, our record album? Well, they needles? didn't care. I it probably <laughs> did, but don't you remember having to get a new needle? And yes, so putting I'm the getting like Manilode again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now yes. I'm getting Manilode by this is like all coming back to me. Yeah, it was just, um, it was crazy. So who didn't want a framed 8x10 of one of our crushes? Like, right, right. sit right on our nightstand or the kissable life-size poster. So on your way out of, <laughs> out of work for the day, you could give <laughs> David a kiss when he was your boss. We just wanted to feel like these celebrities were, that we were close to them and that we mm-hmm. ultimately knew who we were and we knew a little bit more about them. Like Marsha, many of us hoped that a sincerely worded handwritten letter might persuade Sean to sing at our middle school dance or Scott Bayo to come to our birthday party. Oh, don't even. Or <laughs> for Dirk Benedict to come vacation at our home. <laughs> and here's our friend Debbie. You might know her as the Jersey Mama yeah. on Instagram. She's sharing her story about writing a letter to Dirk Benedict. So when I was in the fifth grade, I was obsessed with the A-Team because I loved Dirk Benedict, who played Face, and he also played Starbuck on Battlestar Galactica. So I wrote a fan letter to the, I don't know, the A-Team fan club, and I invited Dirk Benedict to come to my house for a vacation if he wanted to escape his Hollywood life. This is a true story. And I told him we had a pool and everything as if that was like super enticing. And he'd be like, oh, wow, let's go there. That sounds fun. Anyway, I guess they must have felt sorry for my pathetic request. And they sent me like a black and white autographed photo of the A-Team gang um, you know, and it was printed. It wasn't like a real thing. But I remember <laughs> the time that I took a Sharpie and I traced over the printed signatures on the photo and I tried to convince everybody that it was really signed. Too. Come vacation at my home. <laughs> God, that's such a funny story. Isn't that such funny? A, I love her so much for that. Like, yeah, that she right. did that. I agree. That was so funny. And she thought because she had a pool in her house that that would be the like the ringer. That was why he uh-huh. would come all the way to, I'm assuming, maybe New Jersey because she has a very distinct New Jersey accent. So I'm thinking, yeah, yeah Dirk is going to fly from L.A. to swim in my pool in New Jersey. It's a vacation. Well, she, go for, um, where are you going on vacation? New Jersey. <laughs> that's uh-huh. right. He needs to get away. Well, that's what she, he yeah. needed a break, There's you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that Debbie Hollywood thought scene. that. Yeah. And also on another note, I love Dirk Benedict, too. I oh, oh, I just thought, I love Battlestar Galactica. And Richard Hatch was the other cute guy. I wonder what happened to Dirk Benedict, though. I might have to look that up. He's probably yeah, dead or not. That. I'm going to say not dead. No, not dead. No. Not dead. And his name you was guys, Starbuck I'm going to guess that both of them aged very well. Yeah, I think you know who aged well? Richard Parker Hatch. Stevenson <laughs> aged well. He's still a cute. Yeah, he looks lovely. And not all of our fan letters went to celebrity crush guys. That's true. Here's yeah. A, Here's a speak pipe we got from our listener, Maria. Well, I must have sent quite a bit of fan mail because it was the 70s and 80s. Of course, you've sent fan letters. But the one I recall more clearly is I wrote to Punky Brewster. I mean, I wrote to Soleil Moon Fry 
I don't know where I got the address. I guess it was at the end of the TV show, maybe. But I got a postcard that was made to look like it was handwritten by her, by her, like with a Sharpie, but was obviously, you know, mass produced for the fans. And I remember being so excited about it. I am embarrassed to tell you that I had now looked up the years and this was 1984 that the show came on the air. And I was already 12 when the show started. So I guess I was still hanging on to my childhood. But I really, really loved Soleil Bonfry and loved the show and just admired her so much. So that's that's my memory of fan mail. And Maria, you do not have to be embarrassed for liking Punky Brewster. That was a cute no. show. And none of us have to apologize for the shows we liked or the celebrities no. we fangirled after. We also got an email from Rebecca, who is from the TV Tangents podcast, and she shared a story about her crush and writing a letter. It was John Stamos from Full House, oh, and that was her favorite. But she mercy. realized that he probably got a lot of fan letters, so she wrote him one, and she also wrote to help her chances, she wrote one to um, Uncle Joey. So what was his name? How do you pronounce oh, his name? Dave. Um, Dave. It's like a French I word. I can't. Yeah, Coulier. Yeah, yes, we yeah know. you Coulier. would know. Coulier. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. Christian, we have an okay. expert right here. <laughs> you might have to take all that out. So I'm going to read you what she wrote. She said, when I was in eighth grade in 1989, I wrote a fan letter to my then and still celebrity boyfriend, John Stamos. I expected a heartwarming reply as seen on TV, probably like Marsha, written and folded and mailed in an envelope. To up my chances of getting any reply at all, I also sent a letter to Dave Coulier. Is that right, Kristen? Yes, you're I doing that, actually. I think that's right. It. He wouldn't get as many letters as my boyfriend, John, so he would maybe be more likely to reply. Several weeks or months later, I was innocent, innocently sitting at home after school, probably watching the all-new Mickey Mouse Club, when the mail came. My mom yelled out, Becky, you got a postcard from Uncle Joey. And all my oh, siblings God. came running because they couldn't Probably miss an opportunity <laughs> to make fun of me. I almost died right there on the blue carpet. Dave Coulier had sent me a postcard thanking me for my fan letter and for watching Full House. And my whole family passed it around and laughed. I had sent oh. a private letter to him and expected a private letter back. But instead, I got a full receipt. But at least it was handwritten and signed. The postcard I got from John Stamos a few weeks later letter a few weeks later was stamped with his signature, which means he probably had nothing to do with it. And of course, I was asked by my family just how many letters I had sent to the Full House cast. Anyway, as a 13-year-old, I was mortified and realized that maybe things don't always happen like you see on TV. Okay, they laughed at her? I know, that's they're what I was pissed. thinking. I, would, well, be too. I would be too. But I could see older that's siblings so and they're like, look, you got a letter from Uncle Joey. Oh, they're jealous. That was not nice. But this is a thing where you write to a person who is adjacent to the person that you're in love with. I heard this over and over again on the Mortified podcast, which we will talk about in a little bit. The Mortified podcast is um, one of my best sources of information. Um, there was a woman who wanted to write to Michael Jackson, and she kept writing and kept writing, and she never got anything back. And so she wrote to Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> She's like, will you please give this I to Michael Jackson? I thought you were going to say, like, Tito or Jermaine. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor. Because <laughs> oh, your chances are much greater that Elizabeth Taylor's going to yes. read yeah. it. Will you just tell Michael... Yeah, I mean, it was literally, it wasn't a fan letter to Elizabeth Taylor at all. To Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) See, at least this, at least, at least um, this girl's, who's, who's. Rebecca. At least Rebecca, sorry. At least Rebecca's was actually a fan letter to Uncle Uncle Joey. It wasn't like, could you get this letter to John Stamos? (laughs) Please give this to John Stamos. Okay, so um, one of our followers on Instagram left a comment, and I thought this was kind of cute. She said, um. And this is Lori Hessler. I only wrote one fan letter, and it was to Anthony Geary, who played Luke on General oh Hospital. My, oh, yes. Oh, my God. It was during he the whole... He has, like, pubic hair on his head. Yes. He does. Who mm-hmm. thought... I mean, 
I don't want to be mean because obviously Lori was attracted to. I just did not understand that. I didn't understand oh yeah, that's why. right, Lori. We support your crush. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, crush I'm sorry, Lori. Here. Your crush is your crush. That, and these are my we personal were, feelings about the. We were all head. kind of enamored with as she was. It was during the whole Luke and Laura storyline. Story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in junior high and smitten with Luke. I didn't get any kind of response, but I do remember writing it on some really fancy pink stationery. Of course, now as a grown woman and a mother of a daughter, having a storyline where a young woman falls in love with and marries her rapist is absolutely horrifying. Oh God, but 13-year-old me thought it was the most romantic thing that's ever. So romantic. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have to. Everybody just you. forgot about that, didn't they? God, yes. everybody forgot about it. That well, and crazy. it wasn't even that they forgot about it. It was just that love overcomes all. Yeah. Even if somebody It was that you. they forgave it. They didn't yes. forget about it. They forget. Yes, because we're they were di- that we live in a in different, love. a different mm. world today. Right. Okay, so did you guys ever write any fan letters? Oh, I'm sure I did. Of- I'm sure I did, but I don't. I don't remember. Um, again. <laughs> Poor What's Michelle. wrong with me? Just take that out. Some just, she just remembers yeah. everything from Blue Lagoon. She has a photographic right. <laughs> memory of Blue Lagoon, but of, can't remember. Of the puppy. And what does that say about me? Um, I, I wrote exactly one fan letter, which is shocking to me. Um, and I this shed light on why I didn't join a fan club, why I didn't write any letters. I realized it's because I didn't know how. I didn't know where to send them because the one fan le- letter that I did write was to Judy Bloom. And the reason I wrote a letter to Judy Bloom was because it was a class assignment. So I had guidance on, well, here's where you find the address and here's where we're going to send it. I just didn't know where mm-hmm. to send it. Like you can't just put Judy Bloom on it and drop it in the in the post office box that's not how it works so with a teacher's guidance i was like yeah i'm going to send a letter to judy bloom but i do remember being absolutely gobsmacked that i got something back she wrote back it was just a form letter i didn't care at all that it was a form letter and there was an eight by ten glossy and i got to see what judy bloom looked like nobody knew what judy bloom looked like she was not a person that we thought of as an image we read her books and she was mm-hmm. beautiful because this is like 1978. She was She's beautiful, beautiful. And we just yeah. like stared at it. We thought it was the most amazing thing. But then I remember at one point somebody just casually mentioned to me, well, you just write to the to the address that's on your record. And I remember picking up my Sean Cassidy record and looking at the address and being like, what? That's it? That's how this works? That's so easy. Yeah. I was just going to say that I don't have a, like a specific memory of writing a letter to Scott Bayo and sending it to him like, hello, my name is Michelle, you know, I'm 10 years old and I live in blah, blah, blah. But I do have very specific memories for years of writing many, many letters that I would never send, like pretend letters where I'm his girlfriend and he's my Mm -hmm. boyfriend. Or as I got older, my friends and I would write in middle school and early high school, we would write notes back and forth to each other when we pretended we were all wives of Duran Duran. So we would sign it, you know, I was, I would always sign it Michelle Laban and, you know, would be like, <laughs> like would say like, oh, well, you guys want to come over tonight? The boys are on tour, you know, this kind the of boys. stuff. So we would write, <laughs> or we would write letters to, you know, I can remember like a fantasy world, right? The writing letters. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of yeah. goes back to, if I have to think, why didn't I? I bet you anything, you guys, it's because, do you remember when I told you I saw Scott Bayo in concert? <laughs> you guys are like, yes, Michelle, my God. Oh, yeah. When I didn't know I was, we were just going to Magic Mountain and all of a sudden they're like, hey, Scott Bayo is going to be here. And I was terrified. I was so excited, but I was terrified. And I didn't go down and sit close. I sat way up high. I was all of 10, maybe 11 years old. I The reason I didn't go down and sit closer is because I had a very real fear that Scott Bayo would see me and then take me with him because he would, we would fall instantly in love. And this was too real for me. Like it almost got too real to see him in person. And so I'm going (laughs) to, I love you guys so much. You know why I love you guys so much? If you guys are just listening, the two of them are looking at me, like not at all, like mocking, (laughs) like, oh, that's ridiculous. The looks on their faces are like, we totally get it. Yes. No, you guys are looking at me like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. no. yeah, Yeah. Right. Um, when what I'm saying is so ridiculous, but you guys understand, I love you. Um, so I'm wondering if that's why I didn't write fan letters as myself 
as Michelle, who's age 10, because Mm -hmm. I was too afraid. That made it too real. What if he gets it? Psychological analysis. What if he gets it and then he falls in love with my letter and then me and then I have to be his girlfriend in real life? And so I'm only nine. Right. And I might have to choose between my I'm not ready to move away yet. I don't even wear a bra yet. I mean, I'm just not ready for this kind of thing. I don't even know. Just holding holding his hand makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. If I get married, what am So I just feel like I lived in a fantasy world so much anyway. Like, And there's so many reasons for that. But like I lived in a fantasy world. So that's how I wrote my fan letters. They were truly fantasy letters, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Or sad. Did you know that the Pop Culture Preservation Society is on Patreon? Patreon allows you to support our work by becoming dues-paying members of our society. We are an independent, women-run endeavor with a commitment to delivering the highest quality listening experience to our community. And so we've taught ourselves how to record, edit, and produce a podcast in midlife, a time when most of us are asking our kids how to regram a TikTok so that we can deliver episodes that truly speak to you. Support from PCPS patrons means that we can devote more of our time and resources to the content, sources, equipment, software, hosting, and research that you've come to depend on without worrying about how to pay the bills. So thank you. We appreciate you from the bottom of our bell-bottomed hearts. The Mortified podcast is something that I listen to regularly. It is hilarious. It's the very first podcast that I ever listened to ever. And it is real people, like not actors, getting on stage and reading from their teenage diaries. It is hilarious. It is hilarious. And also it can be quite poignant and it really makes you have a lot of compassion for your child self while you're cracking up. So I listened to that one on the regular. There was an episode of the Mortified podcast that speaks to that question of, hey, do these people even read these things? And it is in episode 84 of the Mortified podcast. So there's this guy named Ken Reed. He now has a podcast called The TV Guidance Counselor because he's really into the TV guide. I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And when he was a kid, he wrote tons of fan letters, as any kid who was obsessed with the TV guide probably would. And he always got the same thing in return, an 8 by 10 glossy picture. And he was like, hey. Do these guys read these things at all? And, I mean, you'd think we'd be happy to have an 8x10, but he was just putting two and two together. Like, no letter, no reply of anything, just this picture. It's like, nobody's reading my letter. So he decided to do a test. And he wrote a letter to one of the cast members of Saved by the Bell, the new class. (laughs) Wait, how old? Wait. I know. The new class. Not even Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell, the new class, to a character named Weasel. And he wrote... (laughs) Dear Weasel, you are my least favorite character on Saved by the Bell, the new class. I hate you. Are you even aware that your character is a total ripoff of Screech from the original Saved by the Bell? And then he proceeds to um, like make some very thinly veiled threats that he probably got from like Remington Steel or something like that. And <laughs> oh, a short no. time later, yeah, a short time later, his dad comes in his room and he's like, Hey, buddy, did you write a letter to someone named Weasel? Because the Culver City police are on the phone. And they say you're not allowed to contact him anymore. (laughs) So this is the Cliff's Notes version of the story. If you make sure to listen to the Mortified Podcast, episode 84, or we'll put it in the show notes. Um, And... Oh, and you know, there's one there's one more really good story that I'm not going to share right here because we don't have time, but maybe we can drop this in the newsletter, Michelle. Okay. Um, there is a guy who, as a boy, very diligently wrote a fan letter in his journal every single day to Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, Mr. Know, Belvedere. Well, yeah. and you know, it's interesting... Um, And I can maybe guess who called the Culver City police on our friend from the Mortified podcast, because there was a company, believe it or not, started in the 50s or the 60s, I guess, that was a fan mail service. And so celebrities hired this company and they're the ones who would send out the, you know, prefab letters. Mm. And um, I could see if they read one of these calling the police and saying, we got a threatening, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. letter to Weasel on the line. Although I don't know that Weasel would have. I don't know, been popular enough to have hired the fan mail service. But they um, 
they have been in business. Well, this was written in 1996. So they've been in business for over 40 years and had um, everybody from the Brady Bunch, Henry Winkler. And one of the things that um, the owner of the company said was that Henry Winkler wanted to see all of his letters. So after they went through oh them at the goodness. fan mail service, they gave them to Henry. And he was known to actually write back to some people. He would read them. Every oh, once in a while, he called people if they left their phone <gasps> number, but they didn't believe it was him. They would hang up on him. They thought it was a crank <laughs> phone call. That doesn't so, surprise me. He is absolutely still to this day known as the nicest guy in Hollywood. Yeah, people he is. adore mm -hmm. him. He's just supposed to be the greatest. Yeah. Let's get him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, another one. He's I so nice. Get. He, I guess mm -hmm. so. let's let's see. Let's 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 put that to the test, Henry. That's how right. nice well, are you? I'm going to hand write him a letter to tonight. Let's do it. And I'll send it, it to what the Barry address at HBO. I don't know. We're off Probably that's address a great to show too. To. Yeah. Because here's the deal, guys. I think, as you well know, I've been known to tweet at people or try to slide oh, into yes. their DMs. <laughs> you know, that's what, like all the kids do these days. <laughs> But I think a handwritten letter to a celebrity might might get their attention. Oh, I did I agree. once send one to mm -hmm. Dax. I didn't hear back. I, I'll admit to you guys. And I even um, used a Hot Wheels stamp. So Hot Wheels okay. had like the U.S. Post Office did a whole Hot Wheels collection thing. And uh -huh. so I put a Hot Wheels stamp and I drew these little cherries on it because, you know, we're arm cherries if you <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you follow the podcast. <laughs> and I had a bright yellow envelope. I was sure. And I sent it to the address on the website, which I'm sure is just some. I'm just I mean, reminding you that Carolyn is 56 years old. <laughs> I would it's like, though, to know. But but Carolyn is a diehard Dax Shepard mm -hmm. fan. So I would just love to see that letter because I like how did you cross the, the line from no, super I fan didn't. to stalker? I thought it was very professional. Mm. Here's the deal, you guys. This is another Precious. one of my fan letter hints. You know, if you don't come at him with all the stuff that everybody else I'm comes standing at him, outside like, your door right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was I nothing like it. that. And I, I wasn't like goo goo over parenthood or idiocracy or any of those things, which are all great decks, by the way, because I know, I know one day you're going to hear this. But, um, I, he's an excellent writer, you guys. I, I read this one he essay is. he wrote many years ago and I just, I'm, he's a great writer and good writers are my thing. I love words and when they can put them together well, it's, part of the mm -hmm. sexiness that I am attracted to in Dax. I didn't tell him that part, but I did say he was a great writer and that I had read this essay and it was about when his father was dying of lung cancer. And I told him about my dad and his um, journey through that. And I really thought I tugged at his heartstrings and he would respond, but I don't know where my letter is. If you haven't Aww. read it yet, Dax, Monica, anyone, please go find it and read it now. It's on his nightstand right now. I'm sure. Yeah. Aww. So um, I, it's never too late to write. So anyway, I come back to that. I'm going to write to Henry Winkler. And okay, I think that's a great idea. Here. Maybe we can tell him about my brother who is, um, he's actively working in therapy on his, what he calls his inner Richie and his inner Fonzie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. these are, these are the two, these are the two people within him. And he's trying to figure well, out, am I Richie or am I Fonzie? I don't know. And speaking of writers, Henry Winkler's written like 35 children's books. So yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's He's another a writer. reason why we're probably attracted to him. So it's apparent that most um, celebrities don't write back. And no. if they do, it's a form letter. So um, what's all the more exciting is if someone actually writes a fan letter and something real comes of it. Yeah. And something really big. Listen to this, you guys. Okay. Oh, my gosh. The story, this is going to knock your socks off. Your purple socks. <gasps> what? What? <laughs> mm -hmm. So this comes from Leslie Pitt Schneider, who is the founder of a nonprofit called Project Lolo that provides access to orthopedic care and devices like prostheses and wheelchairs um, for kids in developing countries. Oh, wow. She's done some really yeah, big things, you guys. And part of that might actually be due to a fan letter that somebody wrote to Donny Osmond. Okay, I have chills. No lie. No lie. Okay, yeah. so here's Leslie's story. When she was six years old, she lost her left leg in a terrible accident. And it was the first day of summer vacation. She was playing Barbies at her friend's house. And when she hopped on her bike to go home, she was struck by a dump truck that was oh loaded down with gravel. I mean, it's just, it is, it's horrific to think about. And her leg was crushed underneath the front wheel of oh the truck. Gosh. And ultimately, the leg could not be saved. Six years old. Oh. 
So she spent the entire summer at the Mayo Hospital in Rochester, Minnesota. And while she was there, her 12-year-old cousin, Louise, did something amazing. So Leslie was a huge fan of Donny Osmond. She loved Donny Osmond. So Louise wrote a letter to Donny Osmond's fan club, and she told him what happened to Leslie, and she asked if he could do something for her cousin. And at this time, his fan club was run by his mom. And so Donny's mom must have seen Louise's letter, and she must have been moved by it, as you can imagine a mom would, right? Because she writes back. Oh, wrote back? Yes. Yes. She writes back to Louise. um, Let's see. She was six. So like 1974, 1975. Okay. So can you imagine just the amount of letters Donny Osmond was getting oh my God. in 1974, 75? So I the know. fact that Olive even read every one of them is astounding and speaks yep. really highly. We've talked about this before, that that family, like they, you know, very respectable. Something, something, yes, agreed. Something in mm-hmm. their hearts is speaking to the world, right? Because she writes back and she agrees that they need to do something for Leslie. And so, I know, can you (laughs) believe it? So they arranged for Leslie and her whole family to fly to Grand Forks, North Dakota to see the Osmonds in concert. But Donnie's mom doesn't stop there. So listen to this. Here's Leslie telling her story to me. And we, uh, along with the tickets, got to have a backstage pass to meet the Osmonds. So we got there. And I have to tell you that... um, I had to have a special dress, a purple dress, of course. Oh, God, of course you did. <laughs> and uh, my mom made it. So it's like a, it was like a gingham check, your know, purple and white check. With long dress. So, OK, so we went backstage and they were, it was all pre-show. And so we got to meet all of the Osmonds. I mean, like uh, Donnie, Marie, Jimmy, Jay, Alan. Wayne. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think. Where are all the husbands? There, there's another guy. Uh, he, Is there? Well, oh, Alan. 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 Alan yep. Alan, okay. Yeah. And and their mom. We got to meet their mom. She was okay. there and lovely. I just remember she looked just like a really nice grandma. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, cute. Like, yeah. And um, I like. I so I got to meet Donnie and Marie and and Jimmy. I like fell in love with Jimmy because he put his arm around me and like oh, I thought it was sweet. But yeah, so we got to meet them and then saw the show and we were supposed to then go meet them afterwards. Marie, I think it was Marie had said, "Well, let's meet after the show for pie." But listen to this; it gets even better. Oh there's my more. gosh, I can't. I know, but it. wait, there's more. <laughs> so years later. It's the early 90s, and Leslie is now a grown woman, and she's working at the newly opened Mall of America. She's working in the children's department at Macy's, and she sees a man come into the department. She's just like, must just see the side of him or the back of him, and he seems very handsome, and he's got very dark hair, and he's wearing a jacket, and on the back of the jacket, it says, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Which, if you recall, oh, yeah. that was like a big comeback moment for yes. Donnie when he got a Broadway role in Joseph. And then he starts touring the country in Joseph. He turns around and embroidered on the front of the jacket, it says Donnie. <laughs> Wait, he wore that out in public? <laughs> yes, he did. In oh. case you don't recognize me. Exactly. Oh, God. It's Donnie. And so she's like, oh, my God, this is a full circle moment. Yes. She doesn't want to bother him. But at the same time, she realizes this May, she'll, she'll never get this chance again. Right. And she feels very strongly that she needs to tell him what she what he did for her. Like now that she's a grown woman and she can look back at it, she wants to tell him what he did for her. So here's Leslie again. I said, that was such a pivotal experience in my life at that particular point, because I would never have met them. I would never have had that experience but for having my accident. And it was oh, like, wow. it was like such, I think it was such a foundational way that kind of just set my perspective on how I accepted, you know, my okay. accident and living with a prosthesis. And like, and I think that was always and still is why I've always looked at it as like a gift. Cause I have been given so many incredible experiences. I just never, ever, ever would have had otherwise. And he's like, wow, thank you. Thank you so much. And shook my hand and walked away. And I'm like, okay, that's all I needed to say. Oh my gosh. 
I know. Isn't that amazing? All because of, and we talked about, Leslie and I talked about how Louise was 12 years old and she took on this responsibility of contacting this incredibly famous person with this special request. I mean, she took that, that's just, that's a big thing for a 12 year old to do, I think. Right. And then to watch it unfold like that. Oh my gosh. Way to go, Louise. I know, yeah. Louise. I well, know. that speaks the volumes power. for the Osmond family as well. Oh, Don't yeah. you think? Definitely. I know. Okay, you guys. That was a pre- pretty cool story, but I've got the ultimate fan letter dream story for you. Oh, and it goodness. belongs to Winnie Hung. Okay? So Winnie was um, a longtime fan of Willie Ames. Wrote him a fan letter, much like we all would have done in the 70s. Maybe was a member of that charter fan club that you talked about. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if she got the kissing photo frame. She very well (laughs) must have or might have. So she wrote him a letter back then. And he said um, every once in a while he would grab a handful of the letters and just, you know, read them. He's like, these girls are taking the time to write to me. Maybe I'll respond to a few. Um, And maybe I'll call them. They're never going to get a phone call from me. But maybe I'll just go ahead and, um, and call. So he picks up Winnie's letter way back in the day, and he picked up the phone and called her and said, Hi, I'm Willie Ames. I'm calling from Universal Studios. And she kind of didn't really believe it was him, but I guess he convinced her. And he said they chatted for a couple minutes, and she said, Can I write you again? And we did. We wrote back and forth, never met, for 30 years. They were pen pals for 30 years. So, yeah, they have this um, ongoing... um, pen pal relationship and not not all the time it wanes because as we know willie went through some hard times he Mm -hmm. was married Mm -hmm. twice he had some addiction issues um really some difficult times but he starts to get his life together and he actually um gets a linkedin request from winnie at some point because now he is working on a cruise ship that was one of his first jobs when he's gotten sober and kind of becomes almost a julie mccoy like position on the cruise line And one day she writes and she just asks if he's ever going to be in Vancouver to give her a ring. So she lives in Canada and maybe we can um, meet up. And he said, I'd never been on one that had gone to Vancouver, but he looked at his schedule and said, oh, my gosh, I'm not only going to be there. I have to sign off to go to France to catch my next shift. So I'm going to have a little time there. So um, they decide, "Okay, after 30 years, maybe we should at least meet up cup of coffee, whatever. He said, why don't I take you out to dinner? I'll give you a tour of the ship. And he said, when I saw her for the first time, I literally could not breathe. My knees started to go weak. We had the most amazing evening. It was like we'd known each other our whole lives. And he said, because we did. Yeah. And he had written to her. She, he, she was his closest confidant through a lot of this stuff. What? So he, I asked her to meet me at the airport before he left for France. And I walked up to her and he said, I'm going to marry you one day. (gasps) So we sailed together for a year. And later her sister said, she's been waiting 30 years for you. She's never been married. And they got married in 2014. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, my God. Was this not on the cover of People magazine? Seriously. Well, it was in Closer Weekly. This is an amazing (laughs) It was what? I got this from Closer Weekly magazine. But that's an amazing story. Like, I don't know how they didn't like do a talk show circuit or something. Like, how am I just now finding out about this? That is unbelievable. Well, I'm going to. That is unbelievable. That is fantastic. That is the ultimate fan letter story. Like when you think about, okay, why are you writing this fan letter? So they'll fall in love with me and then we'll run away and get married. (laughs) Well, congratulations, Winnie. (laughs) Wish fulfilled. You guys, I think a really good question to kind of ponder and discuss is what is it that we really want from these letters? What, why are we writing them? What were we after? What were we hoping to get? I think I told you earlier, I was terrified that I'd get a marriage proposal back. (laughs) Or eight or nine. Yeah, I know. And I think on some level, it's about stuff. Like some of us are really pleased as punch to get assigned autographed Mm -hmm. eight by 10 glossy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so on the most basic level, I think 
I think that's part of it. But as many of you know, because it's now been announced on our social media, I have my first book. It will be published soon. Not really soon. It's like 18 months from now. But anyway, it's a novel for middle grade readers about a celebrity crush. And I had to think about this question, this this why, when I was trying to imagine what Millie, my main character, would do about her crush. So even though it's a modern day story, I felt like I needed to honor this this tradition of writing fan letters. And her grandma Cheryl makes the suggestion that she writes a fan letter, like an actual pen on paper letter, um, because it could be the only way to stand out these days, right? When everyone's commenting or liking or, or DMing, can you imagine getting an actual letter? He would notice you for sure, right? right? You would mm-hmm. stand out from the crowd for sure. For sure. So, yep. so why I had to think about this. Why did Millie do it? Why does Millie write a fan letter? And this is what I figured out. She needs to do something, right? Because you have so little agency in this sort of love affair that is very one-sided. It's one of the only things that you can do if -hmm, you're truly in love with the celebrity. Plus, if he reads this, he'll know I'm alive. Right. 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 You start to feel seen. So Millie imagines him, her crush, Rory Calhoun is his name, reading it, touching it. And for that moment, when he's reading it and touching her letter, they're connected. There's a thread that runs between the two of them. Right. It's just it's like being seen by them. You cannot deny that there's an element of fantasy of fulfillment in every attempt to write a fan letter, right? Even if it's unspoken, if you don't, even if you don't dare to speak it out loud. So Millie's friend Shauna challenges her on this, on this very issue. What do you want, Millie? What do you want from this fan letter? And Millie's very sheepish. She's like, I don't know, an autograph or something like that. And Shauna's like, get real. You want him to fall in love with you. Right? So they do it. They write that letter. If you'd like to hear um, me reading a little portion of this book of what happens after Millie writes her fan letter, just hang around to after the closing of this episode and we'll leave a little treat for you. Oh my gosh. Could that possibly be the first public reading of Worldwide Oh my God. (gasps) Yes. Very exciting. Yes, it is. Uh, is. I totally agree with you and Millie um, and Shauna because... In thinking about why we write the letters, I was, I actually thought the first thing that came to my mind was connection. Yeah. That if we mm-hmm. can write them a letter, surely we would have connection. And if they read our letter, if they actually read our letter, they will know we're alive. And I think like so many things from our Gen X childhoods, I think the fan letter could really, it could be a thing of the past. Something that's kind of been reduced to a fan tweet or a fan DM, which is not the same. I don't think that's going to lead to you getting married to your crush. I just don't. (laughs) Which makes me think that this is something that needs to be preserved and studied, like in the Smithsonian. So if you have unsent fan letters or replies to your fan letters somewhere in your attic, go find them. Because I swear to God, I think these could be cultural artifacts. Take a picture of them for for self-keeping. Take a picture of them for safekeeping. Share them with the world or share them with us. And maybe that could be the next headliner for our newsletter. Who knows? Thank you so much for listening, everybody, today. Yes, thank you guys so much. And we look forward to being with you again next week. And as always, we are closing out this episode and closing out this really fun season by thanking all of you for your support, by sharing our podcast with others, and by clicking those stars and leaving a nice review. You guys, we go back and read all the reviews on Apple Podcasts from time to time just to boost our confidence um, and to remind ourselves that people are loving our silly conversations and that they're more meaningful than we sometimes realize. Um, and to those of you who take your support to the next level on Patreon, a huge, tremendously giant thank you. Honestly, you guys are what is quite literally keeping us trucking. And today we're giving a special shout out thank you to patrons Leslie, Mel, Lydia, Susie, Robin, Allison, Julie, and Cheryl. Thank you so much. If the rest of you would like to explore our Patreon page and see all the fun perks our patrons get, just go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and type Pop Culture Preservation Society right up in the search bubble. You can also find clickable links right here in the show notes or at our website, poppreservationists.com, or in the link tree link in our bio on our Instagram page. 
In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of Jack and Janet and Chrissy. Two good times. Two happy days. Two little house on the prairie. Cheers. Cheers. Stop. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. Mr. Postman. Wait. Wait. Welcome to the very first public reading of um, Worldwide Crush. This is what happens after Millie writes her fan letter. We fold it and we put it in an envelope decorated with bulldog stickers. Shauna asked the Google about the address and Cheryl, my grandma, has left me a stamp. Where does it go? I ask, peeling the stamp off its paper and holding it over the envelope. Just anywhere, I think, Shauna says, waving her hand over the envelope. Really? Maybe I should put it on the back where it's not so crowded. I turn the envelope over and I look for the perfect spot. Oh, yeah, the stamp is probably for sealing the envelope. Well, we only have one stamp, so maybe I should ask Cheryl so we don't waste this one. I snap a picture of my fingers holding the stamp over the envelope flap and text it to Cheryl with the words, Right here? Cheryl texts back a laughing emoji. Then she tells me that I am a hoot and she can't wait to show this picture to the girls at poker. Apparently, the stamp goes in the upper right-hand corner of the envelope and it has nothing to do with sealing the envelope. And tell me how exactly am I supposed to know this? So we fix the stamp and then drop the letter in the mailbox by the bus stop, which is very exciting because I've been looking at that thing for years without knowing what the heck it was. Shauna does the actual dropping because I'm too nervous. I keep holding it over the open space and then pulling it back, chickening out. Finally, she grabs it from my hand and lets it fall into the darkness, completely out of my control and on its way to Rory Calhoun. Oh, I have and goosebumps. See. That's so great. <laughs> and it's so true that hovering over the in those blue mailboxes, you can't get it out. It's not like sticking it in the mailbox in your corner or right at right. your door. You can't get it out. I mean, yes, it's like it's gone. So you know you're It's, it's kind of terrifying it. mailing a letter. Well, and maybe she was feeling like Michelle, like, what if he asks me to marry him? Then what am I going to do? Right. right now, I, now, now I'm at a pickle. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you did that. Oh, that was so great. I can't wait. The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Something always happens whenever we're together. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song.